when we begin the meditation, always bring attention back to your posture. Then establish mindfulness on the in and out breath. We're learning to concentrate the mind on its object and the sensation of the breath. Keeping our awareness in the present moment and letting go of the tendency to proliferate, think a lot about many different things. In the course of one day, our mind is thinking all the time, caught up in different moods, sense impressions. And it doesn't bring us much peace or clarity. So now we're changing that habit, bringing up mindful awareness in the present moment, letting go of the distractions, the moods, knowing them and then letting them go. We're using the breath as our object. It's normal in the course of meditating many times a day that there'll be periods where the breath is a very subtle feeling and you can't find it, can't stay with it. Either thinking too much about something or just falling into drowsiness. Either way we have to use our energy, bring up some energy and our skill to cut through and let go of the distraction or the sleepiness. And this is the basic training we do over and over again in meditation. So we need much patience and effort and determination to keep doing that. we find the mind really doesn't stick with the breath, then we may have to change the object, bring up one of the other wholesome reflections, wholesome meditation objects, Buddha Anusati, recollecting the qualities of the Buddha, Dhamma Anusati, recollecting the qualities of the Dhamma. Sankhanusati, recollecting the qualities of the Sangha, and so on. Or we can recollect one Dhamma teaching, a verse or a teaching that we've heard, bring it up, consider it, recite it in our mind, think about it using it as a theme of Dhamma, keeping our mind on that one theme. Not letting the mind fall into its usual 
distracted state or mental proliferation. We use the Dhamma theme to hold our attention and also to understand a little bit more deeply some of the teachings we've heard. We might find this brightens the mind, pulls it out of its drowsiness, keeps it stimulated in a skillful way. As we keep considering that Dhamma teaching that we've heard or learnt, <clears throat> little by little mindfulness comes up and the mind starts to calm down and mindfulness is sustained and samadhi arises. The mind becomes calm, feels relaxed but awake and alert. Every time we're meditating, we're cultivating the quality of mindfulness, brightening the mind, establishing this ability to know, experience, and then let go of our moods that we're normally stuck into, caught up in, and attached to. All the different objects of mind that come up, the thoughts, the memories, Sometimes it's just very immediate stimulus from our senses. Seeing, hearing, tasting, touching, smell. Other times it's just internal. What we say, Dhamma Aramana, internal mind objects, memories and thoughts about different issues which bother us. Either we are attracted to something and maybe a memory of past attraction, infatuation with something. Could be a person or a place or some material object or else aversion, ill will again against a person or a situation, some form of memory. These memories we can hold on to and they can keep being a cause for the mind to fall into moods of attraction and aversion over and over again. Five years, ten years, twenty years. A memory can come up of something a long way before in our lives and still bring up the same emotional reaction, loving and hating happiness, sadness. This is what we mean when we say establishing mindfulness and separating the mind from its object, seeing these are just memories arising, passing away. Not to grasp at them, not to let them lead on to more mental proliferation based on that emotion, that mood. All the five hindrances that we've been discussing, these are where we're working to cultivate the mind, cultivate its ability to know itself, and separate from these different mental impressions, moods, sense objects.
when we do that more successfully then the mind becomes brighter we feel calm in body and mind and over and over again through our day we're developing that ability to turn to bring up mindfulness to know the mind but then to let go of whatever it's attaching to practicing not delighting in nor averse to any object keeping the mind with cool equanimity knowing things but not grasping and attaching to them really this is the whole path training the mind to do this if one's accumulated virtues and paramis and skills in meditation are ready and we've done it enough then maybe <clears throat> the mind will separate from its object and just let go once and for all no more greed or aversion or delusion will arise again this is what we call magapala, sodapati magapala. The mind lets go of its attachment, the view of taking all these objects as self, me, mine, myself. Once and for all. Even if our paramis and accumulated virtues and paramis aren't yet ready to completely let go it's a step in the right direction every time we establish mindfulness let go separate the mind from its object let go of the mental proliferation this is going in the right direction you might say it's sodapadi maga it's the path just hasn't fully come to fruition yet For those who are ready, those who have practiced enough, like in the time of the Buddha, as we chanted last night, Venerable Kondanya, Anya Kondanya, the first enlightened disciple of the Buddha, he was ready. He'd been practicing meditation already before he met the Buddha. He developed jhana, deep states of samadhi, had great renunciation and then Finally, coming to realize the Buddha's enlightened, he arose great faith in his mind. And listening to that Dhammachaka Sutta, the Buddha explained the Four Noble Truths, how suffering arises, its cause, the path leading to the end of suffering. You know, all those qualities were there, and then it was just a slight change of view as he developed insight following the Buddha's words. And he reached the first stage of enlightenment by the end of that teaching, listening. They say, open the Dhamma eye, I mean, he started to see his own experience of body and mind and the world in terms of Dhamma, rather than just following preferences of liking and disliking. So all the mental proliferation faded and he just saw his experience as an Ichadukha Anatta at that moment. 
all that is subject to arising is subject to cessation. His mind fully understood that, could see that very clearly. Yankinchi samuteyatamang sabantang nirotetamanti, as we chant. In the time of the Buddha, those monks and nuns who became the foremost disciples of the Buddha there, accumulated barami was very great. They'd been practicing for many lifetimes. So, like Anyakandanya, they became arahants. We say patisambhida arahants, with many special qualities, special knowledges and skills. With abhinya, psychic powers, with Patisambhida skills, skills to teach the Dhamma, and so on. But the realization is the same for all, seeing the impermanent nature of all objects that the mind comes in contact with, all phenomena, physical phenomena, mental, body and mind. These things are not to be grasped as self, they're just known as impermanent, and not self. We can contemplate like this at all times through our day. As we get involved with the world, we go to work, we look after our families, we eat, we sleep, contemplating the arising, passing away of all these different sense impressions, moods, thoughts, physical sensations and so on. We just can take the very simple things we have in our daily life, like Ajahn Chah was always saying this teaching about contemplating the cup is already broken. Every day we drink, we use cups to drink. A wise person picks up a cup and they know this cup is an impermanent material thing made up of the four elements it has to break it has to one day crack or drop get old now Jen Chaya said you use a cup you can either practice with attachment or non-attachment in non-attachment you see the cup is already broken attachment is you see this is my cup and I want it to last forever and we don't accept the truth of impermanence. So he said, you know, ask yourself, are you going to be wiser than the cup or more foolish than the cup? Because when the cup breaks, it doesn't suffer. The cup doesn't have any worry, any concern. It just breaks and that's the end of it. Why do we suffer when our cup breaks? It's because of attachment. So we're more foolish than a cup. And you can apply these kind of reflections to everything in life where we're not seeing truth, truth of impermanence, truth of not-self. You know, the cup is not-self. You can't keep it and own it and control it. There's nothing in this world that we can keep. And when we die, we pass away, we cannot take anything with us except for this mind and all the good karma and the merit we've generated in this life 
that's what goes with us that's our true possession our true wealth spiritual wealth we either reach Nibbana or else we take the good karma that we've developed as our support for our further practice for Nibbana in next life So this is how we have to train ourselves in meditation, sitting, walking, lying down, standing, constantly bringing up mindfulness, separating the mind from its objects, letting go of all that mental proliferation, agitation, worry. We see when mindfulness is weak, then all these objects come into the mind, into our experience and take over. So when it's a pleasant sensation, the mind gets caught up into all the thinking and proliferating about how one likes that sensation and wants it, wants to keep it. Unpleasant sensation, we get immediately caught into aversion, don't want it, don't like it. And we remember these experiences as well, so we can keep bringing them up over and over again in our mind, keep thinking about them, liking, disliking, happy, unhappy. Ajahn Chah said, when you establish mindfulness, you it's a bit like being in the hallway or the entrance way to your house and you have a chair there, just one chair. And all the different experiences we have in our daily life are like visitors coming to our house, coming to the front door. Some pleasant experiences, some unpleasant. And they all come in and there's just one chair though and you're sitting on the chair and that's your mindfulness and your wisdom contemplating things as long as your mindfulness is present the chair is occupied then these pleasant unpleasant experiences can't stay in your mind you don't grasp them there's nowhere to for them to sit down there's nowhere for them to stay so they have to leave again off they go and we can't control life so much that we can only have pleasant experiences and just keep out all the unpleasant. It's a mixture. There's not much we can do about that. We get some pleasure, some pain. And often we're just always trying to get the pleasure and get away from the pain. And the way of mindfulness is you sit on your chair and you can know everything that comes to your front door, pleasant, unpleasant but you don't grasp at it or give it a place to stay in your house or in your front room. It comes in and must go out again. So you know it and you let go. And the mind returns to peace. And little by little, this is how we purify our mind. Every time we think of the Buddha, if we are feeling very sleepy or agitated, think of the Buddha, you're thinking of that state of purity, the mind that is well trained with mindfulness and insight. You're inclining your own mind towards that peace, 
the peace of the Buddha and the insight, the wisdom of the Buddha. You were just thinking of the Buddha brightens the mind. And we can keep practicing like this, little by little, trying to re-establish mindfulness. If it's disappeared, we got caught into daydreaming, the mind wandering all over the place. Then we, when we realize, we bring it back, let go of the daydream. When we're caught into a lot of unmindful behavior, chit-chatting or going here, going there, not really clear on what we're doing, once we re-establish mindfulness, we compose the mind, bring it back to the present moment. Or if you've been caught into drowsiness, you just keep trying to re-establish mindfulness using your posture, using different techniques, thinking of the Dhamma, thinking of the Buddha. Sooner or later you'll be able to bring the mind back to mindfulness, let go of the drowsiness. This is how we practice. We keep working to establish the mindfulness of the, this quality where the mind is bright and knowing experience, but not grasping experience or getting caught into it. Just knowing and letting go, knowing, letting go. And this is the path of practice. How Ajahn Chah encouraged us to practice all times, all places, all situations. So I'll leave you with these reflections and can carry on sitting for the rest of the period. <laughs>